1: Hello and welcome to Face Off. In this one, we'll be covering the recent 2-0 victory over Chelsea. And joining me to discuss that game is my Liverpool fan, my once-regular guest, but it's been a bit of a a time. Mark, how are you doing, Mark?
0: I'm very well, guys, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on, but good to be back on with you, mate.
1: Absolutely. To be be fair, it's actually been a while since I've done one of these podcasts. But um, the unfortunate soul... Who is joining us as the Chelsea fan? Uh, Carl hooked me up again. Um, It's Alex Byrne. How are you doing, Alex?
2: Good, thanks, man. Pleasure to be here despite the result. And I'm looking forward to hopefully playing nice with you guys for the next one. Don't be too harsh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, Alex, I mean,. I'll have to start with you because there is seemingly a lot of questions surrounding Chelsea, not just about this game, but just the overall state of the club. Which, I don't want to ask mm. you about the ownership and all that stuff. But I mean, let let's start with the manager then, I suppose. But what what's your take on the whole Sari system? Because there seems to be quite a lot of fans who do want him gone.
2: Yeah, there are a hell of a lot of fans who want them gone, like I think it's one of those Chelsea where. Uh, historically we don't give the managers time and you know it's success straight away are out the door like i know obviously with yourselves club came in and his first season like obviously i know you made the europa league final the league cup final but it wasn't exactly you know a challenge for the title and everything like that and with sari the benefit of the Dallas be given to him as well he only got one week of pre-season it took so long for marina granoski to sort everything out with sari and napoli and de Laurentiis to actually get him into the club so by the time he joined in, like the players had done pre season, like I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but at the start of our pre season last summer, Conte was actually on the training mm. for the first couple of days. He showed up because he hadn't been sacked. So I think sorry, it's a strange one because there's two sides. I understand the people who want to melt in the sense that you know we're not playing well, the battering, so we got the four 0 to Bournemouth, the six nil to City. So when the games haven't been good enough, and the stubbornness to basically not change a system. I think he's done well lately to bring in Loftus Cheek and Hustle more into the frame, but it's a case of that. I don't know. I would give him another season personally myself, but if he has a transfer ban like we could do, it's going to be a ropey one. But, you know, I don't see what we do apart from him. <laughs> that's mm. the thing. I don't see who we bring in in this place. Like, what manager is going to look at that club with a potential transfer ban and go, yep, you know, I think that's going to be a good job for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd probably be looking at your Eddie Howe. I mean, you've run, you've run out of four oh, Yeah. I,
2: I just saw today that we're linked with Javi Gracia, the Watford manager, great manager. But, mm. well, you know, we've gone from being linked with the likes of a few years ago, the likes of, you know, Pep Guardiola, Diego Simeone, to the Watford and bloody former managers, as you were suggesting there.
1: Oh, that is quite a big turnaround, to be fair. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we'll, we'll crack up with the actual game. And, and you mentioned a couple of the players who did start in... in um, Loftus-Cheek and hudson die, but seemingly the um, biggest question mark if we can call it that in terms of who started on Sunday is the fact that Hazard started as a number nine I mean, does that speak more about your actual strikers than it does Hazard? <sighs>
2: I think it does speak more about the strikes in the sense that for some reason he refuses to play Giroud. Like, I personally mm. am a fan of Giroud. I think that give him a chance. He might not be the most prolific goal scorer. We started in the World Cup when he didn't score for France. But in terms of his link up play and his knock ons, like, Cazard has gone on record as saying he's his favourite striker to play with at Chelsea. Now, the thing is with Sari as well, though, if you look at the big games of season like against the other kind of top teams. Especially the example of City in the league hall final. He goes with a false nine in the hope that to soak up the pressure and then play in the counter. And I could see there was an element of that on Sunday as well because there was one or two points where David Louise was pinging balls over the top and Liverpool had a very high line. It's just a case of that once we actually got the ball and got it behind, Matap and Van Dyke were excellent. Like, I mean, I saw Van Dyke tracking back so quick, Trent Alexander Arnold as well, Andy Robinson when he had to two. Absolutely brilliant. So, although I could see where he was going for with it, it's just unfortunately from my point of view, Liverpool are fairly strong defensively and it just wasn't working.
1: Yeah, I mean you could be, you could see um that Hazard as a false knight, he's probably not going to be the one to physically match Van Dyke, and that yeah. you could see dropping deep. Probably the idea the idea there, yes. but it, as soon as it changed, I mean, we'll come on to it later on, but it did, it did seem to get better in that. But Mark, um, I'll come to you on um, our 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 team news. I mean, mo- most of it does stay the same, but probably surprisingly, the midfield stayed the same for once.
0: Yeah, it's very rare for Klopp, isn't it? That's normally where we sort of see the rotation, the changes, the front three, but the front 3 that pick themselves. And since Gomez and Lovren have had their injury problems, the back five have pretty much picked themselves. And it just seems to be three from five or six, really, that he goes with. And I suppose the number of days break we had in between each game helped and played a factor in that. It's idea really wasn't playing Friday night Southampton to to Tuesday Porto to Sunday Chelsea so there was mm. plenty of rest days in between so they could all play and from Henderson's introduction against Southampton and the impact he had they were they were the three that deserved the shirt really it's it's Ginny I feel a bit sorry for he's probably on a consistency basis been our our best midfielder over the course of the season but Fair dues to Henderson. I know I've made my feelings clear on these in the past. I'm not his biggest fan, but he had the opportunity and he's, he's took it with both hands. He's playing very well and he's took the chance when he got it. I remember saying on another pod about Shakiri and Lalana when they've had a chance, they've maybe mm. not grabbed it with both hands. And You've got to admire Klopp really for for sticking with those three for the two and a half games and the two goals now he's got will obviously do his confidence. The world of good, I thought he was... Very, very good against Chelsea. They seem to be building up a nice partnership, the three of them. And yeah, long may that continue. But I think he will probably change it for tomorrow night's game. But yeah, a good, good performance from the three of them and warranted their start after after their impact against Southampton and Porter.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've I've put a segment in later on to focus on it, um, especially for Ben because well, it just I'm running out of words for him, but. Um, uh, Mark, I'll actually stick with you. Pretty much the first event of the game, we see Salah hit a, a shin roll, the volley, which uh, I mean, probably a harder chance than it than it seemed at the time. But uh, what was what, what was your feeling at the first part of the match? I mean, were you thinking we had control, but maybe lacking a bit of cutting edge?
0: Yeah, I think you summed it up well there. It was at no point really jumping ahead of ourselves, other than that sort of five. Seven-minute spell in the second half where Hazard had the two chances. I don't really think Chelsea threatened us an awful lot. We seemed in control of the game. We were playing it at our pace and our tempo. And I've heard on various podcasts since the game, I think that's that's the sign of how much we've grown and developed as a as a squad, as a team. Not just since thirteen, fourteen, since Klopp's been in charge. That there didn't seem to be any panic, any rush, and even with the crowd as well, the fans seemed it was almost an air of inevitability to just keep doing our thing and and it'll happen. I think the the late goals we've scored against Spurs, against Southampton have helped that, have helped that with the crowd, with the players, with the mentality and it just seemed a nice, calm game, really. Games with Chelsea before and now have been a bit frantic, a bit here, there and everywhere and it just seemed a nice, calm game that we were controlling and when we wanted to, we could kick it up a gear and hurt them and it took for the second half to do that but I think it's good that we can play with that sort of restraint and confidence now that we don't need to go rushing after things and just keep the game at our tempo and yeah I felt really in control of it it's probably the most relaxed I've been watching Liverpool for a while mm. I was
1: probably the opposite of that <laughs> I'm never relaxed watching <laughs> us um, but Alex coming to you I mean obviously when we talk about Sarri and stuff like that we you, you hear the phrase Sari ball and stuff like that, which is usually about keeping possession, playing through Jorginho and stuff like that. But we didn't really see that much in this game. And, and you all you already mentioned David Luiz playing some long balls um, to counter-attack and stuff like that. Is it? Do you think that's possibly a sign that Sari's learning a bit? Because I mean, you mentioned that City result, which obviously was horrendous. But do you think playing a bit more counter-attack in, in these big games is, is something you'd like to see more of?
2: I think it's not a case of liking to say like, obviously I'd love to play the sorry ball every game if possible and kind of pass, pass, pass the opposition and play a be of football. I think we're doing it more out of necessity now because like, as I mentioned, he only had one week of preseason, so mm-hmm. he wasn't able to get into the exact players that he wanted. I know we got Higuain in January and obviously Jorginho came as part of the deal. So, I mean, Jorginho, I don't know what to say about him. He came as part of Sarri's system. He was obviously the regista, the key man of the system. But to be honest, I've seen him in games. I I don't understand his role. I mean, every time I see him, he's giving the ball away. He doesn't get stuck in with tackles. His positioning is very bad. I think for the first few games of the season, everybody was raving about him, Jorginho. And they were saying, what a sign and what a player. He looks brilliant. But I think it was the Tottenham game when we lost 3-1 away to Spurs. I think it was... Must Pochettino just said, if we just sit somebody on him, Chelsea can't do anything. And that seems to be the thing, because it seems to be passed the ball to Jorginho. And play goes for him. But if you watch his passing, like I think he has a record number of passes without a single assist in the league this season, all of his passes are either short passes or else passes back. And if you watch he tries to play the balls over the top like David Luiz too, the balls for the strikers, but I can't remember one actually landing at the striker's feet or at the striker control every ball I see him play forward goes out for a goal kick and while we're on it even says Fabregas came out a couple of days ago and he said one of the reasons that I left Chelsea is because I couldn't get ahead of Jorginho he said Jorginho was basically like a son to Maurizio Sarri so I mean it's almost a case of nepotism <laughs> I said about watching the season the guy could score probably 10 on goals to be first name on the team sheet <laughs>
1: Oh, but, I mean, If we expand that question, because I mean, we, we were going to mention the midfield next, um, obviously this mm. Jorginho pretty much cemented, printed on the team sheet has yep. affected N'Golo Canta, who, for my, for my mm. two cents, um, his best season for me was when he was with Matic. He, he had a sitter next to him, which, for me, him and Jorginho should work together. I know is not the best defensive, but he does sit. But it's seemingly not worked at all I mean it's not like Kante is struggling Lords in a new position it's just that he's much better in his old position Is, is that, am I right in there?
2: Yeah I would agree with you like I'm going to be obviously I'm fairly biased but you can disagree with this if you're like but for me in terms of that central defensive position I think Kante is the best around that position mm. I think if you watch his work at Leicester his first season at Chelsea and then his last season under Antonio Conte when he was playing in that deep position he was phenomenal like I mean he made Danny Drinkwater look like a world beater and it was a case of that in that position, he's number one, he's nailed down, and his energy is unbelievable. But in terms of this new position, he is slightly coming into it more now. Obviously, he has unbelievable energy. He's box-to-box. I don't think the guy gets tired during a football game. But as much and all as I see him in this position, it's not, for me, it's not his position. He needs to be in front of that defence. He's the heir to McAlealy, I would say, as a Chelsea mm-hmm. fan. He's the exact same type of player. The only difference to him and McAlealy is, I think, can't they moves around a bit better. He's slightly faster. And I think the fact that as soon as Sari came in, he put canty out of position to accommodate Jorginho. If Jorginho had been playing, you know, top assist in the league, everything going through, I'd say, fair enough. But I don't understand why he insists on playing and going like out of position for a player who's severely underperforming.
1: Yeah, I know you've mentioned um, as well. Well, we've mentioned Sarri ball, which is strictly 4-3-3. I mean, if you play them next to each other, it, it surely would work better, wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> exactly. And there are times throughout the season when games haven't been gone exactly as planned or we've played against a team that has, obviously in the case of Liverpool, is superior. When we defend, we keep a 4-5-1 shape and Kante drops deeper. So I don't understand why we can't keep a similar shape, even play a 4-2-3-1. Push left the cheek in front of the two. Jorginho mm. and they hold them. That's what I would do. I don't understand the system with Jorginho deep the other two forward because, I mean, I was watching the game on Sunday and Chelsea were out in the wing. And the only man in the box for Chelsea was N'Golo Kante. I don't care how good a footballer he is. When you have him in the box alongside Matip and Van Dijk, there's only going to be one team that wins that duel.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, n- he's not known for his aerial prowess, that one, is he? <laughs> not- <laughs> yeah.
2: Even though I think he's doubled his uh, career best this season, he's got as many goals this season as he has in his entire Premier League career. But that's just a testament to him. I think he's a great footballer. But he's still, he still mm. needs to be played in his proper position.
1: Yeah, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, that does look like one of the problems for me. But um, midfield for us, Mark, I mean, it was, even at points in this season, it was seen as a problem position. And as we mentioned in the team news bit, we seem to have possibly fallen upon probably our most balanced midfield. But, I mean, I just want to focus on Fabinho, because obviously we mentioned Kante there is probably the best DM in the Premier League, if not the world. Um, But... I mean, Fabinho, he's not far behind. I mean, from shithousery to shoulder passes, he has a bit of everything, doesn't he?
0: He does. He looks very assured, really, since since his introduction full time, really. He had a, a slow start to his career. Obviously, Klopp held him back, and he felt he was ready. And since then, he's been imperious, really, as I said, for the season on the whole. I think Ginny's probably been the most consistent midfielder, but the last four or five months, Fabinho's been. Outstanding and for me he's now along with the front three with Virgil with Allison. He's a, a sure stay in the team. He should be there every every game. It was interesting to the conversation you were having then about the, the makeup of the midfield. I think it's in certain games he's looked brilliant with Ginny next to him as like a two and a one or a four, two, three, one, and then there's other games where he sort of played on his own and had the two like he did against Chelsea. He was, he was on his own really, and then had Henderson and Cater as attacking number eight. If you like running off him, he just seems so comfortable either way. Really, whether he's got a double pivot with Ginny or with Henderson, or he's playing the role on his own and has got runners either side of him, he just brings such a calmness and assurance. His passing is—I think it's underrated. It's superb. The, I'll always remember the assist against United for Mane's goal. That quality of passing and. I think it was Dave was saying if you're good with your brain, you don't need to be fast. He just seems to have a habit of being in the right place at the right time and City have got Fernandinho to do it for them. It's get the ball or get the man and more often than not, he does get the ball, but when he has to get the man, he's very clever, shall we say, Mm. with the way he does it and it's, it's not giving away cheap, dangerous fouls in positions where opposition can hurt us with set pieces. It's it's just very intelligent play and it is a specialised position. We've said for numerous months, I know AI as a whole have said it for a long time, calling out for a, a proper DM and the difference it will make and, and it's showing now the difference it does make. It. Barcelona a uh, uh, Barcelona, yes, because of Messi, but Busquets is so important to Barcelona and the way they play and again, you look at the impact Kante's had, he won the league with Leicester, he went to Chelsea, won the league with Chelsea, he won the World Cup with France. If you get the right player in that position, it just makes everything tick. He solidifies the defence and then he's progressive and moving us forward. And we can get seven players bombing forward and just leave Fabinho, Virgil and Matt to deal with it. And positionally, they will. And then the full-backs can bomb on and your midfielders can bomb on and... That's how we scored that goal against Chelsea. Henderson in that position mm. is allowed and comfortable to get in that position because of how good Fabinho is at his role. So, yeah, as impressed as you are with him, guy, he's been fantastic and long may it continue.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, he should be one of the ones who's printed on the team sheet every week. Um, But, yeah, I mean. Mark, I'll I'll come to you on this next point. I mean Firmino had a real game of two halves, which is the shittest cliche ever. But first half he was um a bit not all over the place, but he just seemed to he he wasn't connecting the game, he wasn't connecting the front line as he usually does with the midfield. But then in the second half, which we'll obviously focus on in a in a bit, he, he just he just sparked into life in that second half. But that first half he just he was a bit off it, wasn't
0: he? He was, he must be. He must be one of the hardest strikers in the world to come up against for defenders. He's just so unpredictable and his movement is unselfishness. Like Kane is phenomenal and he scores goals for fun, but you sort of know what you're getting with him and you know what he's going to do. The same with Aguero, but with Bobby, he's just so unpredictable and so much of a team player and he's dropping deep, he's creating for things, but a lot of his game is sort of on the edge and if it comes off, he looks a genius. And second half, it was coming off in the first half. It was just bouncing off him a bit, wasn't it? And it's it's such a game of margins. But he got into a few positions where he'd had a bit more luck, maybe. A bit more, the ball had bounced a different way. I think he would have had a fantastic game. But you're right, the first half, for whatever reason, it just wasn't quite clicking for him. But he's still just a constant menace. Louise had his hands full with him all game and then he just seemed to he tracks back as well and then him and Fabino doubling up on Giorgino, the lad, the lad didn't have a chance with the two of him but so he's always worthy of his place isn't he and I think, again a, a lot of his passing, his, his movement his creation wasn't quite on the money there the first half but he's still a massive distraction to, to three players really, the two centre-halves and Georgino, in this case, the DM for the opposition, you just can't take your eyes off him because of, of what he is capable of. And he said the goal he scored against Arsenal, he can pick it up from deep and run with it and score he, against Southampton, the one he laid on a plate for Henderson. He is capable of everything, so he is always a menace. But yeah, the first half, it just didn't quite click for him. But I'm not quite as harsh as you. I didn't think it was quite that bad, but certainly better
1: second half than first half yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, Alex one of the um, probably key moments of the first half was was Rudiger getting injured because um, he was seemingly doing quite well in in his time on the pitch and I know Chelsea fans are a bit mixed on him saying he's he's um, he's good but you could probably do better but he seemingly has got better this season or the first part of the season at least but how how big, a, how big a moment was Rudiger going off?
2: I think it was massive, especially from considering his position. He's one of the two centre-halves, and him and David Louise are our first choice. They played the most minutes together. So they've got that understanding there. I know you were saying some Chelsea fans are a bit mixed. I'm a big fan of Rudiger. He came in last season under Conte as part of that back three, and I think he's been really good. He's been fairly strong at the back, prone to one or two lapses sometimes, but Overall, I think he's a really good player and really solid. And having the transition from the back three to the back four, he's done it very well. I think it was so unfortunate to see him get injured because, you know, I mean, he's a guy, he's a big guy at the back. You know, he likes to run with the ball from the back as well. He can play right back or centre back so he can cover when Asp is out of position as well. And I just think that was really unfortunate. The only good thing I will say is that we had Andreas Christian on the bench and not Gary Cahill. Because I think it could have been <laughs> a lot more than two 0 if that were the case. As much as Kale has been good, he he doesn't really have it as much anymore as he used to. But you know, I mean, the only positive thing I could say from that is Christensen got to play in a big game. He came on. I I know obviously Liverpool scored the two goals. I don't think Christensen was that outrageously bad. I think he's very good, very good to handle shoulders for a young guy. I think he only turned twenty three there, not too long ago last week, I believe. So it'd be interesting to see him get a run of the team, but. I do hope Rudiger is now for a long time. He's been one of our most important players this season. When him and David Luiz, obviously, like I said, he has a couple lapses of error. But when him and David Luiz are on it together, and they have the heads in the game, they are a fairly difficult team to team to break down. The two guys, no Van Dijk and whoever he's playing with, but. You know, you gotta level with me on that when you're used to seeing him every week. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, true, true. Uh, but what what is what is the um the crack with um Christensen? I know he kind of got overplayed a bit by Conte towards the end, but there was a lot of madness going on at that stage. Um, but he seemingly was a, a very bright spark talent who you could probably build around in the future. But he, he seemingly just gone away. <laughs>
2: Yes, it's a strange one because, obviously, he was always this bright prospect. This bright prospect. Same with Loftus Sheik. He was always this bright prospect. Now, these bright prospects are still young, but they're already 20. So, this is the kind of time where you're like, you know, they kind of want to be starting a few games and starting to get a bit of a run in the team. Last year, with Conte, it was weird last year with Conte. Basically, if you remember, we lost 3-0 away to Rome in the Champions League in the group size last year. Mm. And David Luiz, basically question Conte's tactics and he didn't play again for the rest of the season so from that point Andreas Christensen was one of the first choice centre-halves and you know he had a few big games played against Barcelona the Champions League I was unfortunate that it was his mistake in the first leg of that game that led to Messi scoring against Chelsea um, but overall I think he was fairly good so this season I can understand I've been a bit let down he's played in the Europa League and he's played in one or two of the league games that went against the top opposition so yeah, it's, it's strange to see because I think it's just the fact that what has hurt him more than anything else is the switch from a back three to a back two. If we still had the three at the back, it would definitely be him, Rudiger and David Louise. I just think that the fact that he's gone for obviously two centre-halves instead of three has hurt him because out of those three, Sari just clearly prefers Rudiger and David Louise.
1: Yeah, and I think he's, he's mentioned in an interview a couple of months or weeks ago that he I mean, obviously the transfer ban coming that players won't be leaving Chelsea. Do you think his future's elsewhere, or are you hoping he stays around?
2: I'm I'm hoping he stays around for a couple, for three reasons. Number one, again it's the whole academy graduate. He's been with Chelsea for a long time and we're desperate to see somebody going through. Number two, I think that he is good enough to play. Like when he was playing that back three last season under Conte replacing David Louise, he didn't look out of place. He's got a really good head on the shoulder for somebody that young. And number three it's a simple case of that David Luiz isn't getting any younger. This is the mm. second stint of Chelsea now, and although he still moves around the pitch and hasn't uh, lost any of the madness, so to say, he isn't getting any younger. He's going to, I believe he's in his early 30s now, so Andreas Christ- and is in his later 20s, although not old. Christensen is the one that we need to be looking at. He's 23, and he is a guy that could be around if we want him to be at the top level for the next eight to nine years.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, centre backs do mature a bit later, don't they? Um, mm. But we'll move, we'll move on from that. I mean, the first half wasn't the most exciting. That's why I'm not really talking much about the actual game. But, um, Alex, I mean, we obviously mentioned Hazard playing a false nine and stuff like that. But at half time, was there any changes you, you'd you want or expect? I know Pigline came on about the 60 ish minutes, but were you kind of expecting any big changes at half time?
2: I wasn't expecting anything big at half time because notoriously sarri is somebody who likes to make changes a bit later in the game. I think the false nine had its advantages and its disadvantages in the sense that you know we were not hoping to break we were trying to contain liverpool from attacking because liverpool I think they had 65% possession in that first half. So it wasn't exactly a chance where I got to actually analyze their attacking football much. <laughs> um it's a double-edged sword out of false nine because a lot of the time you see Hazard drifting out wide, you get Hudson-Odoi, William out wide, and there's nobody in the box except N'Golo Kante. The that I will say is, and this is a big problem with Chelsea in terms of half-time and the second half, it's not so much the players that worry me, it's the start that we make. There's, uh, I actually was reading yesterday a statistic that Chelsea have conceded 12 goals in the first 15 minutes of the second half this season in the Premier League. So, I mean... That sets alarm bells off for of me. I don't yeah. know what Meridian Saria does tell them at halftime. Like, if you. And it's always the second half performance. If you look at that, well obviously, you guys got the two goals in quick succession. If you look at Bournemouth, we lost that game 4 0. But people forget, we were nil all at halftime in that game. Mm. The Everton game a couple of weeks ago, we dominated the first half. Absolutely dominated. Everything gets a sniff of the ball. Same thing, come out with a second half, two quick goals. I think they scored a minute into the second half in that game, everything. So. I don't know what happens to those players at half time. They just seem to switch off, and then straight away, the you know, opponents are on the attack, and the game is lost, and that short space of thought.
1: Mm, I, I, that, I've not really picked up on that, but that is really interesting how a team can implode after what is only 15-minute-odd break. It's, it's quite, that's quite strange, really. Um, mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll have to keep an eye on that. That's for betting. That's betting knowledge that I need there. <laughs> uh, but, but Mark, I mean, from a Liverpool's perspective, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, probably in control, but not cutting Chelsea open at will. Or, or, or but but um, I think Klopp mentioned in in his post-match stuff that one of the tweaks he made, he wanted Henderson further forward, almost as a number ten. Is that something you? You wanted to see, because I know Henderson got a lot applauded after the game, but first half, he was probably the, not bad, but he was quite quiet compared to how it finished.
0: Yeah, he definitely had more of an impact in the second half, not just the assist for the goal, his general his general play being a bit further up the pitch. I think it was, again, the first half was more of a cagey affair. We sort of at the start of a boxing match, if you like, sussed each other out and a bit of light, sparring and then obviously Klopp had seen something where he thought he could get at Chelsea and the first ten, fifteen minutes of the second half just unleashed everybody, really as I say, other than Matic, Van Dyke and Fabino, Alexander Arnold Robertson seemed a lot pushed pushed a lot further up. Henderson and Katie were further forward and the front three and it was just bang, go for them attack and get get the two goals up and kill the game off and it worked, and yeah, Chelsea didn't seem to know what to do. It seemed to hit them like a sucker punch, and all of a sudden we had just had spare bodies and spare men in and around the box, causing mayhem.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summarised the first goal there as well, so we might as well just go straight (laughs) on to that. Um, As you mentioned, Henderson does great work. Um, I think Salah bullies Emerson, if I remember correctly, but it's a great ball, and I mean, Mane... I mean, he's a little guy, but he does have an he does have a decent header on him, <laughs>
0: but yeah, it was a good he goal, does he it? has an incredible leap, yeah, I think they said on on raw that he sort of jumped a bit early, maybe, but he has got the hang time and got his head to it and Kappa was close to it to be fair, he got a hand to it, but good powerful head, header, and from that far out, you would expect him to score, and he did score, but that's again, it's cliche, isn't it? that was the Henderson we sort of had thirteen fourteen. Getting forward, getting into the box, getting on the end of things, and making a nuisance of himself, and it was a good quality cross, as it's going to be if it if it reaches its target and you score a goal from it, it's going to be a good cross, isn't it? It's, and say so Chelsea just seemed confused and rattled by the numbers we had in the box, really. As you say, it was Salah was involved, Firmino was involved, Henderson crossed it, Kate it was was just by Marnie When Marnie headed out, I think Robertson was on the corner of the box. And nobody seemed to know. It was almost like it was a a corner from when Henderson crossed it. Mm. Nobody seemed to know who was picking who up. And we just had spare men everywhere, really. And yeah, took full advantage of it. And I think that in a game like that, the first goal was always going to be crucial. And, and so it proved.
1: Alex, anyone um, in the Chelsea camp getting blame from the Chelsea fans on it, really? Because, I mean, other than Emerson, I I don't really see too many big errors.
2: Yeah, I think Emerson is the key one there. He was up against Mohamed Salah, and Emerson, obviously, for me, is the first choice left-back at the club because, I mean, simple fact is he's not Marcus Alonso. (laughs) I mean, that gets you a start for me. Um, I think, though, with Mane, because I was actually talking to Carl about this before the game, he was saying, who's the player you're most worried about? You're worried about Salah. And I said, to be honest, no. This is the player I'm most worried about was Mane. For the simple fact that, again, I'll give you three reasons. He was up against And my three concerns about Asuka getting into this game where, number one, he's obviously, he's got on a bit. He's not as young as he was. He's entering his late 20s. You can see the legs are slightly starting to go because although he was getting stuck in to make tackles, Mane had not done for pace all throughout that game. Hmm. My second problem, obviously, is he was part of that back three for two seasons and then we just had to switch back to right back. So we kind of had to, I suppose, relearn the position with the slower legs, having played the previous two seasons with that cover from Victor Moses. My third concern, I just think this was bad game management. That was his second 90-minute game in the space of a few days. He played, excuse me, third. He played 90 minutes on the Monday against West Ham. Then he played 90 minutes on the Thursday, the Robo League, and then he's playing 90 minutes in Adamfield. When I saw that, I was like, man, he's going to have a field day with this guy. And so, as, as just to man- jump
1: in on that. Sorry, Mark, mm-hmm. you going
0: I think, as I, as I was saying earlier, when we were fortunate with our fixtures playing Friday, Tuesday, Sunday, Chelsea did have a hellish week, really, a, a Monday night game, a Thursday away game in Europe, and then a Sunday away game. And fair enough, it was, the half-four Sunday but still to have two away games like that is very tough yeah. and just, just to pick you up and on Azpilicueta really obviously only looking in from afar I think for a couple of years he was seen as one of if not the best defenders in the league I think his ability mm. to play right back he started at left back at Chelsea didn't he when he first came in because Ivanovic was still yep. right back and then playing the right-sided centre-back of a back three what yep. has happened to him because he does seem this season, to have I wouldn't say fallen off a cliff, but right. his performances do seem to have had quite an alarming drop. From the he set himself a very, very high bar, don't get me wrong, and he's still mm. a good defender. But there was a number of years where he was a phenomenal fullback either side or even centre back, and now yeah. he, just, he does appear like he can be got at.
2: Yes, I think it was the basically the sub mentioned there before. I think first of all his legs are starting to slightly go. He was never the fastest when he's starting to lose energy. You know, that five to ten percent that start to lose as you go on, it is starting to show for him. And he got used to that position. I know he's very versatile across the back three or a back four but the fact he was so used to sitting in deep as part of that center half position last in the back three hasn't helped either so i just think it's a combination of those two and you got to remember as well it's fatigue i mean whatever about obviously you know the 390 minutes of the week as i said i believe he's played the most minutes out of any chelsea player this season so i mean that guy's got to be tired and it's again it's it's the pre-season with sari it shows one lean to another with the club we don't have Proper backup right back to use in this game, like because as obviously, as he tired, he was tired against Sadio Mane, he was fatigued from the games he played. I would have not wanted to have seen Zappacosta up against Sadio Mane <laughs> in that game.
0: And I think the booking you, you probably know, played but... a
2: part as well, didn't it? <laughs>
0: hmm? The booking probably played a part as well, getting back was that last 30 minutes in the first half he got yellow,
2: yeah, of course. And the thing with that as well, I just think that was frustration, he knows himself. He's not at the level that he needs to be, because as you said, he set the bar so high for himself, he's probably disappointed in his own performance. That, you know, the mind wants to go, but sometimes the body is saying, I can't do it.
1: I forgot Zappacosta existed. <laughs> <laughs> so does the Chelsea fan sometimes. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, but in other news, Ashley Young is playing left-back against Lionel Messi tonight, so hopefully this won't jinx it, but oh my God, man, <laughs> I can't wait for this game. Uh, but uh, that's the first goal. For, uh, Mark, I mean, I'm, I've only got to really ask you one question about this goal. Which is better, Sturridge or Salah? Salah. Ah, you're wrong. You're so no, wrong.
0: Salah's got it. Was It was a phenomenal goal. I was in the pub watching it. I don't. I normally watch it at home, but I was in the pub watching it, and it was just, it was just phenomenal. From the moment it left his foot, it was just rocketing in the top corner. That Sturridge's goal was very good, but no, Mo's goal. And I think I must be on five, six hundred times now. I've watched it since Sunday. I just can't stop watching it. It's unbelievable. But again, I don't think, I don't think he probably tries it or I don't think it goes in if he doesn't get the goal against Southampton. I think mean, that has just given him... It's The 50th goal was obviously weighing heavy on his mind. It's lifted that weight now. He's gone into the game confident. And after the week he'd had, which we, we won't dwell or mention the unsavoury incident. Every club's got dickhead fans and that's a part of life, unfortunately. But what a response. And yeah, that's... That's one of his best goals he scored for Liverpool, in my opinion.
1: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not one for Thunderbusters, but it'll do me.
0: Um... No, he's not. He got a couple last year. Then he mm. saw the one against Everton, the first one against Roma, in that sort of vein. But it's not a, a most special, if you like. It's not one you'd associate with him, a typical Salah goal. But what a goal. What a goal. That's unsavable. I heard somebody... Mm. I can't remember who it was trying to blame Kepper for it, and he was in the wrong starting position, and he should have been a foot over to his right, and then he saves it. He could have been stood there. I don't think he's saving out the power on it and the swerve on it. That's that's unsavable for me.
1: You have to find out who said that and call them okay. stupid. <laughs> well, there <done>. because <laughs> that's 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 amazing. But yeah, um, I mean, I I can't add anything of that. I mean. Literally in the agenda, I just put all my costs. What? What else am I going to put? Um. But Alex, uh, this seems to be not well. It didn't turn out to be a turning point, but it did seem to spark a, a, an attempt at a comeback. Um, with um Hudson adoy going off for Higuain, but just on Hudson Odoi because he obviously he's been linked with Bayern. I mean, he's even been linked with us, but I doubt that would happen. Um. How how good is he? I mean, it's very hard to know at this stage because I think he's 18 or 19 still, but do, do you think he's good enough now to be a starter at Chelsea? I know the wide options outside Hazard aren't great, but do you think he's ready to start at Chelsea?
2: Yep. I think 100%. He's ready to start at Chelsea. I saw Hudson Odoi play last season. I was over at the bridge. It was actually a pretty bad game to go. Through. It was when we lost three and left the Bournemouth at Stamford Bridge. But the one bright spark from that game was Hudson Odoi came on, and I watched him, and I said, "This guy is unbelievable." He came on and he was beating players one, two, three, putting balls in. I was like, "Where has this guy been?" And obviously Chelsea played Arsenal in the Aviva uh, just last August in a friendly game before the season started and hudson Odoi started on the left wing and I mean he made Hector Barron look like a, an amateur. He made Hector mm-hmm. Barron think about retiring in that game I think. So for me as good as Willian and Pedro have been over the last few years you've got to look at the fact that they are the two oldest wingers in the league or if not the two oldest two of the oldest wingers in the league and they have been great over the years but they are just they can't do it anymore and again it's the same thing you know The body just isn't what it used to be. And I think Hudson-Odoi, he falls into the same bracket as Loftus-Cheek. You know, we're desperate to see an academy graduate go through. But for me, he's good enough. He's absolutely good enough. I mean, Bayern Munich aren't just going to bid 40 million for you because, you know, they think, ah, who will we go for? I mean, they clearly see something that the rest of us see. And Mm. I'm glad he's getting a game now, but I just hope it's not too little too late. I'm, I'm desperate to keep this guy at Chelsea because I think he is the real deal.
0: And uh, where do you think his best position is? Because I've seen people say it should be on the left, others on the right, because obviously on the left he's got quite a big obstacle ahead of him to get ahead mm. of at the moment. So where, where do you think his strongest point is? And if, if the inevitable happens and Hazard goes to Real Madrid, mm. do you think he would be your starting left-sided attacker next year and Pulisic from the
2: right? Yep, 100%. You've hit the nail on the head there. I think that, well, I've resigned myself to the fact is I think Hazard, he will join Madrid in the summer. And I don't begrudge him for that. Hazard has been a phenomenal player. He stuck with us, even through really bad times. Even the season we finished, he stuck with us. I think he'll join Madrid. The fact is that Zidane's gone back there, as soon as I saw that, I was saying, no, nah, he's 100% gone for Madrid. And yeah, I think when he leaves, especially now, because this is also looking, especially if we get this transfer ban in he has to be our left side of wing is on the right. I think it's the only way to go because William and Pedro are going to be another year older next year. They're good to have there for their experience and as backup if you need them. But Hudson-Odoi, yep, he's definitely hazardous placement next season.
0: So in a way, it could almost benefit you having that transfer ban really and then you've still got William and Pedro to, to sort of rotate with him because you don't want to Burnout, and it's happened to so many young players and they're thrown in the deep end, play too much football and it ruins them. So it would do him the world of good to not have an elite player like Hazard ahead of him that he's not going to get chances ahead of and probably shouldn't Hazard's world-class. But a William or a Pedro can come in and still do a decent job for when they're needed, but then he can play the Lions' bulk of the games and then maybe the year after, that's for sort of 2020-2021, He's fully established then, and it is his birth, but just obviously get a lot more minutes next year than he's had this year. But by not having Hazard ahead of him, he's going to get a lot
2: more opportunities, isn't he? Yes, I would agree with that completely. And as well as i not getting minutes this season, it seems to just be Sarri's stubbornness because, you know, I haven't looked at Pedro or William once this season and said, why are they starting? Because it's a case of... Over the last summer as well, we had a fifty million pound offer from Barcelona for William. And at the time I was saying, no, no, we need to keep him But look, and now I'm like, geez, I'm looking to get ten million for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think though, as well as obviously the transfer ban would be horrible. Nobody wants a transfer ban, but one thing that people seem to forget about Chelsea, this transfer ban. We have forty eight players there on loan. Hmm. And these are boys that were never gonna. How many them can you name? i mean in can kind of name. Well, I can name a few. I think the ones that excite me the most are uh, Reese James, although he's an attacker, a tech, or, uh, right back. As for the getting on, Reese James, I think has been to the team of the week, more or less every week for week in the championship. He's been absolutely excellent. I know Mason Mount is having a fairly good season with Frank Lampard at Derby County. In terms of a front, obviously, Michi Bachiwai, who I think would actually fit in in this system, is on loan at Crystal Palace. You've got Tammy Abraham at Aston Villa. You've got. Uh, well, you've got Alvaro Morata out of Atlético Madrid, but we won't go down that route.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, you
2: got... Oh, God, yeah, Bakayoko. there you go. He's out on loan as well. We could always throw him into the midfield if needed. So, we would you believe Lucas Piazza is still a Chelsea player as well?
1: Isn't he due a testimonial, sir?
2: Oh, I think so. I think he's at the club long enough. I think him <laughs> and... Uh, we're going to do him and Marco Marin on the same day. <laughs> so, I mean... Well, these Van Ginkl guys, Ginkl uh... as well, haven't you? You've still got Van Ginkel as well, haven't you? We have Frank Ginkle, there you go. We still have uh, Pasalic, who's on loan in Italy. So, I mean, we have a lot of these players who have never even played for Chelsea or have had fair cracks of the whip, that are basically waiting in the wings. We still have uh, Matt Miazga, the American fella, and Hector as well. Good God. <laughs> like, these are players you look at and go, why? But, like, the ones that obviously... Start, Charlie Masamba, he's another option we could play at wide if needs be. But I just think for me, now, this might be a controversial pick. You can say I'm an idiot, you could agree with me. In my personal opinion, Hudson odoi he would start for any team of the league, except for Liverpool and City, because I just think their wide offices are unbelievable.
1: Um, maybe Man United aside, but you could play on the right.
2: Hmm. Well, Rashford on the left. Yeah. Even Rashford, if needs to be.
1: Martial, Rashford, Hudson. Yeah. I'd probably agree with that.
2: Hmm.
1: Mm. Who else are we look at? Tottenham. You could see him in there. I'd probably agree with that, to be honest.
2: Exactly, because just when it comes to Liverpool, obviously Salah and Mane have to be nailed down. And in terms of Man City, I mean, you've got Sterling, you've got Bernardo Silva, you've got Leroy Sané. I, I, as good as Hudson does, I don't see him getting ahead of those. Even
1: Marez is there of- in the background somewhere.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So in terms of those two teams aside, I think he'd be starting than any other team in the league.
0: I'd, I'd definitely take him at Liverpool. As, as you say, that's, that's where we're. Severely lacking. If one of Salah or Mane go off, the next, the next cab off a rank, if you like, is just nowhere near that quality. But for him, he's going to be in such a similar position that he's in now. He's just not going to get his minutes if he comes to Liverpool, and that's that's a problem. We we've got now. that's a problem Tottenham have had for a couple of years. A striker going in knows he's not going to play because Kane plays. It's how do you get somebody to come in that knows? they're going to be fourth choice in a front three and convince them that you're going to get minutes because I think Klopp does overplay the front three because they play pretty much every game they start and he doesn't really take them off an awful lot, even when the game's won. So if you had an option like that on the bench, it would be phenomenal. And that's when you start getting to squad that like City have got, as you said, they've got Mahrez and Bernardo Silva if Sterling and Sane start. And they're picking two from them. For we're picking three from three every game. But he's not going to come to Liverpool, is he? One, you're unlikely to sell to Liverpool, and two, he knows he's going to be in a similar boat than what he's in now. He's if he does move, he's going to want to move to somewhere where he plays like like Sancho's done. He's gone to Dortmund, and he plays now week in, week out. And look at the impact that's had on his career.
2: Yeah, and that's correct. I believe he's looked at uh, Jaden Sancho. I think a lot of kind of young English players looking back on, you know, we don't have the standard Premier League. There are other opportunities out there that we can go for. And I mean, Hudson-Odoi, he's, I believe he's only 19 years old. I mean, he's only going to get better. He hasn't even started to really picky. He's still just that young, raw talent that needs to be playing minutes and needs to be given a chance. And I know Sardi was saying he's not ready, he's not ready. It's like, yeah, but the only way he's going to get ready is by getting minutes and being on the pitch. And as well as that, I mean, not only the 40 million bid from Bayern Munich, they've come out and they've already offered him. They've said, look, you come to us, you've got the number 10 jersey. So what's because Ar- Arjen Robbins leave at the end of the season? What sort of a vote of confidence is that to a guy that age? He's thinking, mm. you know, I could go to one of the biggest teams in the world and be one of their star men.
1: Free league title as well. <coughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs>
1: but um, probably the other biggest talking point, I mean, we meant, you mentioned him slightly there, Hazard. Obviously, the negative and probably going, but I mean, once once Higuain came on, he went back to his normal position. Um, I mean, he really sparked into life. I mean, might have only been a ten fifteen minute spell, but he even in the first half, he was certainly Chelsea's best player. But um, I mean, the first chance he hits the post, if I remember correctly, and the second one, that Allison saves. I mean, probably should have scored one of them, but yes, I mean what firstly your your thoughts on the chances and secondly obviously a lot on football twitter about hazard being the best player in the league and third best player in the world and i think carriage has kind of added to that on sky sports news as well um but where where do you stand on that do you think hazard is the best player in the league
2: well again i'm probably biased i i think I I see even as a Chelsea fan it's difficult I would say yes you see the likes of him against West Ham if you watch him in that game on Monday night that first goal he scored where he took on half the team you look with that and you think to yourself what a player you'd pay to watch him every week but I think what has it is he's so much potential I don't think he realizes how good he is sometimes like sometimes you see him on the ball and he's trying to lay it off for people and trying to help this team and you're thinking you know just be selfish like just go yourself and score like he did against West Ham. He says, no, I'm going to take the spot and run at it. I think that obviously you've got other players. You've got the likes of Mo Salah on his day. It's unbelievable. You've got Kevin LeBron on his day. It's absolutely unbelievable. But I think if you get Hazard on tune and really up for the game and his head really in the game, I I don't see anybody who can cope with that in football. He's just he's so, so, so good and he can do what he wants. It's like a kid in the playground. You see him sometimes beating the player, going back and beating them again for fun.
0: Mm. So, this is where I'm going to jump in now and show <laughs> my Liverpool bias. I think you've almost answered my question there, my point about Hazard, then, with you saying if you get his head right and you get him in the game, I think that's what lets him down. The, every player is inconsistent, even Messi is inconsistent, and as he's yes. off game, I think Hazard is so hot and so cold. Yes. And I think in and around the League Cup game where you beat us for a few games up to that, he was just not interesting and wasn't performing. And then he comes on and and rips, us a brand new one. Influences (laughs) the game, scores, creates one, and then goes on a run and scores like that. But for me to be the best, you you can't have that attitude of, I'll turn it on when I want to turn it on. Even when Mo went through that run where he didn't score, he was tracking back and making tackle a left-back and he was involved in the game. And the desire always seems to be there with, with Salah, with Kane, with Aguero, with Hazard. He just seems a bit petulant at times and he just, if he can't be bothered, he can't be bothered and, and that's it. And I think that yeah. lets him down because when he is on it, he is unplayable and he is a phenomenal player but I think his attitude lets him down. The ability, no question, he's world-class but I think yeah. to be the best in the league, I think that lets him down and that rules him out of the conversation for me.
2: Yes, and I think sometimes what works against him is although it is a good character trade to have you see it in his interviews and everything. He's very laid back about things. He's fairly chilled out. So I think sometimes he doesn't take things that seriously. The only thing I will say about in terms of you saying he was petulant, the perfect example of that was the 2015 to 16 season where we finished tenth. I mean, he won the Player of. He was the Player of the Season before that, 2015, with Chelsea won the league under Jose Mourinho, and then the following season just. You look at this guy and you're thinking, what happened? I think he scored his first goal in January that year. We were all looking, going, "What's going on?" Like you're not playing. Like I don't understand how that can happen to a player who was at that point, you know, saying the best in the league could be one of the best in the world, definitely in the top three at that point, and then to fall off a cliff like that, and just because of you know upstairs. Even when you saw him, sometimes when Tony or Conte, it'd be some games where he'd be walking around the pitch, and then other games where he'd be absolutely phenomenal. So, I mean, I love Hazard. I think he is going to go down as a. Chelsea, great. I think he's going to get down as a legend of Chelsea for what he's done and the ability he has. He's so much, much raw talent. But as you said, sometimes it's it's just a mental side of the game. You got to think to yourself, come on, man. You know, you got to do this. You got to pick your team up and go with them.
0: Yeah, I think you saw him even after the game, sort of laughing and joking with with Mo, really. And I know it's yeah. it's not as much of an important game to you as it was to us because we're going for the league. Yes. But you're still in a battle for top four. And you've just lost, So let's let's be honest, since 2004, 2005, there has been a rivalry with Liverpool and Chelsea, we played each other that much, we were competing for the same European trophies, more so than the league, because when you were winning leagues, we were way off the pace, but that would piss me off to see one of our players laughing and joking with an opposition that close to losing. And then you think, well, yeah, it's partly his fault because he downed tools, but He's stuck with Chelsea for, what, two, three seasons? You've been out of the Champions League in the Europa League? Yeah. And he could have gone, and he hasn't, and he has stuck with it. And when he's on, on fire and his head's right, he is unplayable, and he's a mm-hmm. great talent, but it just must be so frustrating that he can have prolonged periods like that. It drives us a bit mad. Mane seems to go on these runs for a couple of months a year where he can't buy a goal, but the effort always seems to be there with, with Hazard, it just seems you can turn the effort off. And that's just, to me, you just can't forgive that almost, that this, as you say, down tools, Mourinho got the sack and then he picked tools up again and decided yeah. he wanted he wanted to be the best player in the league again. And that that's not right, that.
2: Yeah. And that is one thing I will say, your point there about Hazard. Like, he has down tools, but that's why I don't begrudge him if he does leave in the summer, which I think he will. There have been points where He could have left He could have said Look I'm not doing this This is fine This isn't for me anymore." But he stuck with it Because he was happy at Chelsea He was happy with life in London And he didn't want to change And he was committed to the club And I respect that I've got massive respect for that So I just think that When you see him Like you see him Kind of deeper in the pitch You get the ball You get past one or two players you go on a run, lay it off, and you're kinda of thinking, man, like this is incredible. They like, keep doing this. And yeah, he kinda of goes on a run where it's like, you know, has our no goals in the last eight, nine games then still like against Wolves, for example, I don't think he'd scored for a few games and then all of a sudden ninety third minute ball on the edge of the box, cut inside, bang, bottom corner more or less for the whole team. And you're like, Where was that?
0: No, I was just gonna say it must be frustrating that yeah, you can you can have that ability and not, not showing it as often as he could, should perhaps. But yeah, on his day, unquestionable talent. But
2: Big time. I think he's absolutely mm. phenomenal, but it's just a case of like, what's going to happen today, which side he's going to show up, because on his day, which should be every game, he really can win a match for you by himself. He's that good.
1: I agree with everything here. I'm just going to have to throw Van we in
0: here. It's impossible to say he's the best player in the league. Yeah, is, you've got Van Dyke, you've got Salah, Hazard, Aguero, David Silva... It depends what you're looking for from a player. There's, there's, there is a lot of very good players in our league. Yeah.
1: It's probably and I know there's been a lot of...
0: That would <coughs> be Moreno. <Marina>. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Uh, the better
2: yeah, version of Alonso. We still have to see Baki coming back too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but uh, we are near an hour. Um I was going to ask about the rest of the half but literally nothing happened because we did, I think we just passed it around midfield after that mad 10 15 minutes. Um but I mean just one more question on on the Chelsea front then I suppose. I mean what what's next for Chelsea I'm not in terms of fixtures and stuff like that but do you think the focus will be on the Europa League or do you think the top 4 is still the priority or do you think we've I think you're pretty safe past Prague if I remember correctly but do yeah. you think the Europa League focus is there?
2: I think personally it has to be the Europa League focus for, again, a few reasons. It's the case of firstly top four isn't in our own hands. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's so unfortunate to see we're not in control of our destiny with that, which is annoying because for the first few months of the season they were talking about Chelsea challenging for the title. They were saying Sarri could win the league because I know we were top for the time and fighting with yourself and we just fell off a cliff basically ever since that Spurs game. But I think the Europa League will be the priority because obviously it's Champions League football. I believe they still have it as a top seed ranking as well, which obviously helps with the group stage. And from Rich sorry, personally, he's not won a trophy. Hmm. So, I mean, he's going to be looking at that for him. I think Europa League will mean a hell of a lot more than top four. And if it gets kind of the same result as the top four, I think that's where the focus has to be. We saw Mourinho do it. United back in 2017 when he said, you know, feck it to the league and he went all out for the Europa League and they beat Ajax in the final. I think that mm-hmm. has to be a similar situation with Chelsea. I think top four is gone. Obviously, try and go out and beat United. Who doesn't want to do that? And, you know, fight as hard as you can for the top four. But I think the Europa League is the more realistic opportunity. Even then, if we do make that final, you got to imagine it's going to be Napoli or Arsenal. That's going to be a really tough game because Arsenal are really starting to kick into gear a bit more under the Emery.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's Chelsea-Arsenal in the final, that I mean, there's, there's Arsenal fan TV that i, I need that content. <laughs> uh, put it this <laughs> way. Uh,
2: but... I, think, I think it would be phenomenal. I can just picture if United and Spurs finish third and fourth, and then if Chelsea and Arsenal finish fifth and sixth, I mean, the Europa League final. I think that would be oh, God. very God. entertaining television.
1: I'd probably actually watch that. <laughs> That's <what I> <laughs> Takes a lot to make me watch Europa League football. Uh but yeah, I'd watch I'd probably watch that. Um but Mark, from our point of view, I mean we've got Porto and so this pod will probably be past that anyway so I don't want any big outlandish predictions on that because we'll look like twats um (laughs) just in case but in terms of the league I mean I think we've got Cardiff on Sunday then Huddersfield which on paper is probably your dream fixtures touch wood um but what what's next for us do you mean we've just got to focus game by game really haven't we
0: absolutely yeah I'd be intrigued to see what team he goes with tomorrow night Henderson came off didn't he with a with an uncle knock, I know we've read today that he's travelled, and he said he's he's fit and okay. I think again, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lovren come in for Matip just to give Matip the rest. Possibly give out Trent a rest and put Milner right back because Robertson missed the first game and to give the other fullback a rest. Ideally, maybe give one of the front three a rest, but again, two knows a dangerous scoreline, so maybe go out and. Try and get an early goal, and and again, then you can use your bench wisely and, and give them a rest. Again, depending on when this comes out, that could well leave me with a veg on my face. And then Cardiff Warnock Warnock hates Liverpool as much as I hate him, and he'll be desperate. <laughs> he'll be desperate to do one over. unless again, they're playing Brighton tonight. That's kicking off tonight. So depending on the result they get there, they could be dead and buried by them. But he will be desperate to do all he can. He hates. He hates Liverpool. He's always hated Liverpool, especially since he's he's fallen out with Rafa over Rafa's team selection all those years ago. He'll be desperate to beat us, and we've we've got to treat it as though it's a Chelsea, a Man City, an Arsenal. I know you said on on paper it's a it's a great fixture. They'll be fighting for their lives. We've got to take them seriously. We've got to pay them respect and be professional and and get the job done. Nothing other than three points is acceptable. I think we need to win four games, get our twelve points. And see where we're at then, and hopefully, City drop a point or two along the way, and we get what we're all dreaming of.
1: Absolutely. And hopefully, someone takes points off Man City as well. But we will finish up there. So, thanks for joining me, chaps. And thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye.
2: Podcast Network.